Good morning. Today's scripture comes from Romans 13, 11 through 14. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This has been the reading of God's word. Well, we're in the middle of one of those practical uh, passages in the New Testament. It's uh, Romans chapter 12 and 13, and we're finishing up the, the, the 13th chapter of Romans this morning. And, and just to give you an idea of kind of what's the, what he's been saying, what he's been doing, it would be too long to go over, obviously, you know, the most of two chapters to tell you what he's been saying, because there's a lot of stuff that Paul has said, instruction that he's given the church at Rome, and then to, therefore, to us about how we should live our lives. But it's kind of summed up in this. If you have your Bible, you can look at Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. I think this kind of sums up the, the, the previous two chapters that we've been in. Uh, Paul said, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing zeal. I'm sorry, in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. What he tells us, and here, even your Bible may even have that uh, section marker before that section that says that these are the marks of true Christians. The marks of true Christians are, number one, love. That we love God and that we love each other. That is the overarching mark of Christians, of true believers, is that we love God and we love each other. Let love be genuine. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. That should be the, the major mark of, the, of a true Christian is love for God and love for each other. A love that transcends uh, what people do to us in return, that we continue to love them no matter how they respond to us. And secondly, the mark of true Christians is that a true Christian is someone who holds fast to what is good. As someone who does good no matter what is happening to them. Uh, early in the passage, he talks about how we should uh, show love to people who are responding poorly to us, that we should love them in return. The third mark of true believers, he says that those who are true believers are those who are zealous for the Lord, those who have zeal for God as a servant of God, someone who is motivated by a zeal and a passion for the Lord. The fourth thing he says is that a, a mark of a true Christian is someone who bears through difficult times with hope, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. A mark of a true Christian is someone who is able to bear through difficult times and yet to do so with a hope that transcends what is going on in their situation. And then he says, lastly, in this section, that a mark of a true Christian are those who care for those who have needs around them. 
contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And then Paul kind of sums it all up and ends that whole section with this. He says this, Owe no one, at the end of chapter, uh, just before this section in chapter 13, verses 8 and 9, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet it, covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that life inside the church should look different. In fact, it should look radically different than life outside of the church. Paul is saying that life inside the church, among believers in Christ, should look different, vastly different than life outside of the church. He's saying that the way that we think and the things that we do and the, the thoughts that we have, the words that we say, all of those should be different than the people who are around us in the world. In other words, what he's saying is the gospel changes everything and should change everything. A, a Christian's life should reflect the nature and character of Jesus. I want you to hear that today if you're a Christian and you carry the name of Christ this morning. It's something that we kind of know instinctually when we know from scripture, we, we know as believers, but think about it for a moment. What we're saying is that Paul is saying, and we believe as Christians that, the, that the, a Christian life should reflect the nature and character of Jesus in the world around us. Your life, I think we've gotten very comfortable with kind of admitting our failures, most of us, not, not all of us. Uh, but, but by and large, I think as Christians, we've gotten a lot more comfortable through the years of admitting our failures, and yet not, and yet we kind of stop there without saying, like, yes, this is who I am, but this is how I should be living my life. My life should reflect the nature and character of Jesus in the church and with the people who are outside the church. The Christian community should showcase, should show off, we mentioned this last week, the good rule and reign of Jesus Christ. Jesus described the church as a city set on a hill. And what he means is that, that we should so exhibit a different kind of living, a different kind of thinking, a different kind of talking, that we look vastly different to the world around us. So they can look around and see that is what it looks to live under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus looks like because I see what they look like individually and what they look like together. I say that's the way that we should look. But then Paul has this in our passage in verse 11 where he writes this besides this you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to those to us now than when we first believed this is written this book to Christians and Paul has this whole list in the, this middle of this whole section where it's about how our lives should look different as believers. He stops and he pauses at the end of this chapter and he says, you know the time. The hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. 
Paul is urging us not to be sleepy Christians. What he's saying is that it's possible for those of us who call the name of Christ and who believe in Jesus and who are truly saved, who have experienced the new birth, have gone from death into life, who place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, who have recognized that we are sinner and God alone is holy, and that Jesus was sent as the Son of God to die a death on the cross to pay for the debt that I owed to God for my sin and has united us to God through Jesus Christ. And I place my faith and trust in that. And I believe he's returning again. For those of us who believe all of that and have experienced that new life, that, that new breath, if you will, kind of within our lungs, those of us who call on the name of Jesus Christ, it is possible for us to be Christians and yet to be asleep. It's possible for us to be believers and yet to be kind of sleepwalking through life, if you will. What is a sleeping Christian? What does it mean to someone who is a Christian but yet asleep? Why would Paul write this? Why would Paul say, the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believe? What is a sleeping Christian? Well, first of all, it's someone who, doesn't, who isn't awake to the proper things. If you're asleep, there can be, if you're a sound sleeper, and I am a sound sleeper, and when I go to sleep, I fall asleep almost as soon as my head hits the pillow, and I am out. I am a snorer, my snoring is loud, my sleeping is deep and heavy, and so there's like two things working against anything waking me up. It's the sound of my snoring, it kind of drown out everything that's going on around me, and the deep, sudden sleep that I'm in, that so I'm just, I am impervious. I am, have no knowledge of what is going on around me. And I've woken up and there's like, the house has gone crazy. Things have happened. There's a baby's crying. The kids are fighting. My wife is crying. Like, I don't know. And, I, and I'm just trying to, out of a stupor, trying to figure out what is going on. And how did I miss all of this? There are multiple times my wife said, did you even did you even catch what happened last night? Like that baby was crying and this happened and that happened. I'm like, I had no idea. I'm so sorry. When you're asleep, when you sleep like that, you miss what is going on in the world around you. You're not cognizant or, or awake to what is, the, what is really happening. You're in a dreamlike state where you're stuck in your own bed and you're on your own pillow asleep in your own little world. And that's what many of us are like as Christians. There's a whole world of things going on around us. God is at work in hundreds and thousands of ways in the lives of the people around us. God is at work in the world around us. God is even at work in our own lives trying to get through our thick skulls and yet we're impervious and, and not conscious to what he is doing because we're stuck in our own sleepy, dreamlike state. And most of us, all of us who are believers, we've experienced, if you've been a believer for some amount of time, you've experienced seasons of you've been either asleep or kind of sleepy and drowsy as a Christian, right? There are times as a believer where you're very cognizant and you're aware of the glory of Jesus Christ and you can't wait to worship him and you can't wait to grow in him. You can't wait to share him. You can't wait to, to, to follow after him. You know, that just the, as the 
part that we read in Joshua, like your cry is, God, speak to me. Tell me what you want me to do. And you're waking up with anticipation of the day, like, God, what do you have in store for me today as your servant? And then there are other times where we're just sort of like, blah, right? We're just sort of asleep. We're sort of sleepwalking through the whole thing. Uh, I, um, my wife made a discovery when we got married uh, that was kind of uh, uh, unsettling to her, and that was that I was a sleepwalker. And, and she, she found this out because uh, one, one morning she woke up and I was not in bed with her and I was asleep in the, in the closet. <laughs> and and, and, and then I was no, not aware of how I got there. And another time she found me rummaging through the closet trying to find clothes to wear. It's very hard to find clothes to wear when you're actually asleep. But I was rummaging through the closet trying to find clothes to wear and trying to get ready for work. And it was very, very off-putting to her because I was looking right at her. I would engage with her, but I was not all there. My family loves to tell the story. I was, I don't know, probably 20 years old and... Um, I was asleep and I, I got up out of bed and I walked down the hallway and I came into the kitchen and my mom and sisters were standing in the kitchen and I was in my, literally, I think my Bugs Bunny uh, boxer shorts and, and I came through and I came through like I was an airplane. I went, walking into the kitchen and they said, Randy, what are you doing? And I said, I'm an airplane. And, and they realized that I was asleep and they, they then asked me who was the president of the United States. And, and that's when I started to kind of wake up when they asked me the question, but I was still asleep and I, I heard myself answer George Washington. And I got very frustrated with them and went back to bed and I was embarrassed and I woke up. There's another time when the, my wife and I, we were, this isn't about sleepwalking, my wife and I, we were falling asleep and we would pray in bed before we go to sleep. And I was, I was holding my wife's hand. I was very tired and we're praying and, uh, and uh, we're getting close to the end of the prayer and I literally fell asleep while I was praying. And I was saying, and God, I pray that you would give us favor with, uh, with asteroids. <laughs> and I woke up when I heard my wife who was holding my hand say, huh. And I woke up and I'm like, what just happened? And she told me what happened. It's unsettling to meet someone and interact with someone who is, sleepwalking, someone who's going through the motions, but yet they're still asleep. And yet that's what many of us are content to do as Christians. We're content to open our Bible and sing songs and listen to sermons and go to community group. And yet we do all that as if we're walking through a dreamlike state. The word doesn't affect us. The truth of who Jesus is doesn't stir our souls. The, the concept that the people around us who don't know Christ are bound for damnation and are separated from the love of God doesn't break our hearts. When we see those who are suffering around us who don't have what they should have to have a normal life, it doesn't stir our souls the way it stirred Christ's souls as he looked out over the masses and he, his heart was stirred within him because he saw they were sheep without a shepherd. Someone who is a sleeping Christian, who is someone who isn't awake to the proper things, is someone who doesn't recognize the time, Paul tells us. The time that we're in is the time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. 
It's an overlapping of ages, if you will. Paul uses here the, the picture of night and day, of darkness and of light. And the picture that he gives us is that the world separated from God is stuck in darkness. It is in the night. But when Jesus has come and he, through his, the, his work on the cross, he is bringing a new age to bear. He is gonna wipe away every tear and he's gonna come and rule and reign as the rightful king in, of all of creation. And he will set right everything that is wrong. He will rule in righteousness and justice and all the injustice and all the hurt and all the pain that we see that is caused by sin, that is caused by our separation from God will be no more. But we live in this overlapping age where night is still here. It's like twilight, like it's still night, but yet the dawning has come through Christ. And one day we who have tasted of that dawn, who have tasted of the day, know that the day will fully come when Christ returns. A sleeping Christian is someone who lives as if it's still night. It's someone who still operates as if you have not been born again. It's someone who operates as if the, all of the world is under, is under darkness and is not under the light of the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. Paul says, so then let us cast off the works of darkness. He says, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. A Christian who is sleepy or sleeping is someone who is still doing the works of darkness, which does not fit our new life. In other words, you are living as if you were under the rule and reign in sin and not as if you were under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. You're interacting with people around you as if you were under the rule and reign of sin and not under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. That's why he says, let us walk properly in verse 13, as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. He says, let's walk properly, not in orgies and in drunkenness. Like you're like, wow, Paul, you just like jumped right into the deep end, right? And probably many, most of us in this room, probably, I don't know, maybe we haven't been involved in one or two, both of those in the past 24, 48 hours. But really the point that he's making is that someone who is, it, who is in orgies and, is, and is, who is drunk is someone who is under the control of something other than Jesus. What are you most of the time under control of? Are you under control of the rule and reign of Jesus actively in your life? Are you in, under control of just whatever happens to happen in that day? Or whatever you happen to desire? Or whatever people kind of point you in the direction of today? Many of us are like flags. We just fly in the direction of whichever direction the wind is blowing. He says, don't walk in orgies and drunkenness or in sexual immorality and sensuality. That means that we are, those who are walking those ways are driven by the, your basest or your lowest desires. You're driven like an animal is really the picture there. Sexual immorality and sensuality, being driven by the, the base desires and drives of your flesh, of your, of your, of your 
natural being and just going whatever direction those drives and desires push you. I think one reason we don't see more power, I know one reason we don't see more power among the believers in Christ in America today is because we are, as believers, we carry the name of Christ and yet we are driven by sexual immorality and sensuality. Many of us, our, dry, our basis drives and desires, of, basis sexual drives and desires push us and pull us around like, like a cow like a, that has a ring through its nose, just pulling us in whatever direction it desires to pull us that day in that moment. And you say, man, Randy, not me. I am not, I haven't looked at porn. I haven't done these things. I haven't been driven by sexual immorality in a long time. But yet sensuality is even a bigger umbrella that covers a lot of things. It's not just sensual, like passionate kind of things. It also has to do with the, the drives and desires of your flesh, things that are sensual, things that are fleshly. It could be your physical appetite or appetite for comfort or appetite for entertainment, that the, your sensual desires drive you and control you. And then he says, or quarreling and jealousy, which kind of seems to stand out, right? But he's saying our, inter, our interpersonal relationships as believers, that's our interpersonal relationships as husband and wife and friends, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as neighbors, that when we are governed and driven by quarreling and jealousy, that we are living as if we are still under the rule and reign of sin, rather than the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. We are driven, we are living as if we are still occupants or citizens of the darkness or the night, rather than those who are citizens of the light. A sleeping Christian is someone that the enemy, the enemy of all of our souls is lulling us to sleep, is lulling us to slumber. That's really, I think, the great work with Christians of the enemy. If he can't get us to just totally run away from Christ in the opposite direction, then he would have us fall asleep while we sit in our pews. He would have us fall asleep while we open our Bibles. He would have us read and even memorize scripture without letting it affect our hearts and our souls. He would have us sing songs and be more concerned with it, whether it's a tune I like or I don't like, or whether there's drums or not, or whether that sounds good or not, or whether I'm entertained or not, rather than letting the meaning of the words stir my soul with affection for Jesus Christ. He would have us do anything except be stirred at the deepest part of who we are by the beauty alone that is found in the face of Jesus Christ. He would have us have no fitting zeal. Look, it does not make sense that we as believers would follow Jesus Christ who alone is good and who alone is just and who alone is powerful and yet do so like, like a tennis crowd. Good job. Like passively watching something from the side. 
to be followers of Jesus Christ, to be sons and daughters, to be made sons and daughters of the king when we were once aliens and enemies of his throne is only fitting, incredible, stirring zeal from the core of who we are. And that does not mean that you have to jump up and down, though I think that it's oftentimes fitting. It does not mean that you have to shout, though I think that is oftentimes fitting. But it does mean that however God has made you as a human being, that and whatever zeal looks like in your heart, that it should be smoldering, smoldering and burning from deep inside you. A zeal for the Lord. A zeal for the Lord that is not easily put out and not easily quenched. When things go wrong for you or are difficult for you, when circumstances around you don't happen the way that you thought or that they could or should, whenever you encounter personal problems, personal physical ailments, that they don't derail you and throw you off, that there's a zeal that burns from within your soul. When it seems like the people around you aren't listening to the word and don't have any interest in Jesus Christ, it doesn't stop you from sharing lovingly and humbly, but yet sharing with them the good news. Because as the prophet said, if I do not share, it's like a fire shut up in my bones. Why is it a problem if we are sleepy? It's a problem for sleepy Christians because we're called to live in light of the new age that's to come, not the old age that we once were a part of. We're called to exhibit and look like what it, rule, what it looks like to live under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. We should look like what, in a microcosm, in a small way, what it's going to look like when Jesus comes and returns. And if we don't do that, the world around us will not see. They may hear, but they will not see. Jesus said, they will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. Not by your great services, not by your great preaching, not by your proper doctrine, but by your love, that zeal that we have for God that, that, that is exhibited by love for one another. Why is it a problem if we are sleepy Christians or asleep? Because salvation, Paul tells us, is nearer now than when we first believed. The day is coming closer and closer and closer when Jesus Christ will return and he will rule and he will reign. And that should have an effect on us as believers. It should excite us and stir us. It's not about guilt. This passage is not about, a, it's not a guilt passage. It's not a threatening passage. It's an enticing passage that says, you are no longer of darkness, so therefore live like a child of light. Live as one who is under the rule and reign of the good King Jesus Christ. Salvation, your final salvation is nearer now today than it was when you first believed. And not only is it coming closer, but you have had so much time as a believer. Some of you have been believers a short time, months, or a couple of years. Some of you have been believers for decades. And you've had longer and longer to realize what it means when Jesus returns. What it's going to mean for you to have the, what is left of your flesh and sin done away with whenever he returns. And you stand before him and you see him face to face and you're made like him. 
you have all the more reason to no longer live as one who is under darkness, but one who is under light. It's a problem when we live as sleepy Christians because when we do so, we are losing time to live for the Lord. Look, eternity is coming and we will all serve the Lord perfectly without sin. I don't know what that will look like. It's gonna be fantastic. I do know that. Sin will be no more. Suffering will be no more. We will know as we are known. We will stand. We will see Jesus Christ, the rose of Sharon, the beautiful one. But now, at this moment, we have an opportunity to live for him while the ages that is to come and the age that was are overlapping. And we can proclaim the new kingdom of Jesus Christ to those who are around us who are not yet a part of it. And when we live as sleepy or as Christians who are asleep, we are losing time to live for the Lord. Are you a sleeping or sleepy Christian? Paul calls on us to wake up, but it's hard to wake up, isn't it? I experienced that this morning. I was very zealous in the time that I sat to wake up this morning. It was very early. And it was very difficult. Very difficult. It was like, a, I'll just be honest, it was a multi-stage process for me to get up this morning. I, it took me a while to get out of bed. I made it to the sofa, laid back down on the sofa for a while. Set a timer so I wouldn't forget I'd laid down there. Got back up, made some coffee, drank some coffee, was exhausted still, laid back down again. Set another timer so I wouldn't sleep more. Got up, drank. It was, it was an exhausting process to even wake up this morning, I'll be honest with you. And it's hard to wake up sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes you don't hear the alarm. Sometimes you hit the snooze. Sometimes you're like, I just wanna, I don't wanna get up today. I just wanna leave taking care of the kids to my wife. It's hard to wake up. It's hard to leave the comfort of your bed and the warmth of your sheet and the softness of your pillows. And it's hard for us as believers to shake away from the drowsiness that the enemy is trying to lull us into. But Paul says the night is far gone. The day is at hand. It's time to wake up. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. What does it mean to wake up? It means to cast off the works of darkness and put on. Cast off our former selves and put on our new selves. And notice what he says. He says, cast off the works of darkness. And then he says, put on. Does he say put on the comfortable pajamas of light? Does he say put on the, the sweatpants of light? Does he say put on the Lululemons of light? He says put on the armor of light. Because as a Christian, our life is not called to be one of comfort. It's called to be one of battle. I think we need to hear that again. As comfortable Americans, as Christians, the Christian life is not one of comfort. It's one of battle. And the reason that many of us don't want to wake up from our sleepy Christian life, from our sleepy, comfortable Christian life, is because we don't want to be called into active service. We'd rather roll over and pretend we didn't hear the alarm. 
We'd rather turn on entertainment and football and uh, music and whatever we can do in order to, to drown out so we don't hear the alarm that is beeping at us where God is calling us to wake up. We'd rather roll over and pretend that we're asleep and let somebody else handle it than us. But God is faithful and he will not let us do that. If you're a believer in Christ today, he will not let you do that. He will not leave you to a comfortable life because you as a Christian are called to active service. That means you're called to, to be involved with warfare with the enemy. The one who's the enemy of God, the enemy of our souls, we are called to be engaging with him. And many of us forget that, right? You know one way that we drown out the, the call for God to wake up is we forget that the battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and spiritual forces of the heavenly realm. And we start to think that a battle is with human beings around us. The battle is with a culture that is increasingly secular or with a, polit a political landscape that is changing and we don't understand or don't agree with. We wanna make that the problem and the people the problem instead of, instead of seeing that the enemy that we are engaged with is not flesh and blood, but against principalities and the rulers of the air, the spiritual forces of this age. That what he is doing is actively trying to lull and blind the minds of the people who we get frustrated with so they won't see what we saw that brought us out of darkness into light, the beauty that is found in the face of Jesus Christ through the gospel. And he would make us enemies of them rather than enemies of the one who is the true enemy. We're called to active service, to be involved in warfare with the enemy, and we are called to, be, to dedicate our lives to expanding the kingdom. That's why he says, wake up, put off the old life, the old deeds, and put on the armor of light. The job of all of us as believers, not just ministers, not just leaders in the church, but the job of every single believer is to be dedicate our lives to the expanding of the kingdom of God here and now while the ages overlap. That's why we say that we want to be an awakened people who are sent by God to awaken others. It's not enough for me to be a Christian and simply feel that I'm growing or like the church that I go to or kind of be growing in my life. If I'm not then turning around, that's not being awakened until I'm truly turned around and I'm sent by God to then turn around and awaken others around me. We buy a false idea of Christian maturity when we think that it's involved simply around my, my comfort and my growth and my church and my ease rather than putting on the armor of light and dedicating ourselves to the expansion of God's kingdom in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and in hard places. But if it's so hard to wake up, then how can we wake up? He says, verse 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality. I just want to keep saying orgies for you guys a lot. Sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. But he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. 
I think for most of us, if we could have a, a verse that we would need to put up on our mirrors and our car dashes and our refrigerators, then it would be this. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We wake up as we cast off the old life and we put on our new life. But it's so easy for us as Americans where comfort is so readily available to us to easily make provision for our flesh. And everything around us tells us that that's what we should do, it's okay. Think about the advertisements that we see. You deserve this. That's what the advertisements really say. You deserve this. This will give you lots of happiness, whatever the, this that they're selling is. It could be a razor or it could be a, a vacation or it could be a car. This would give you extra happiness and you deserve it. And we buy that all the time because it sounds so appealing. It's like hitting the snooze button. Oh yes, that is appealing. And we make provision for our flesh and we gratify its desires. And we don't even realize that what we're doing is we're feeding the old life rather than the new. And we're living like those who live under darkness rather than those who live under light. But look at the motivation. And I love this. What's the motivation that Paul gives us to live this way, to put off the old and to put on the new? What's the motivation to, to actually stir ourselves and to wake up from our sleep and from our slumber? It's not, he doesn't say that our motivation is regret of, of our past. A lot of us get caught up in that, right? We regret what we have done or not done. I'm at the age now, I'm the other side of 40, and I'm at the age where I'm starting to realize like, wow, my, my best life may not be in front of me. My knee started hurting the past week and I have no idea why. And I say hurting, like, I just mean like, I bend down and it has searing pain inside it. I didn't do anything that I know of. And when you get to that age, or maybe you're even younger, that like you can look back over decisions that you've made in your life and you can regret what you did or what you didn't do. And many of us get caught up whenever we think about what we have or haven't done for the Lord. We look at the past, we are filled with regret for what we did or didn't do. And we never move beyond that. And that honestly, that's just another way of us being self-motivated and self-concerned. It's about me then. He doesn't say that we should simply look at our past and regret it. Nor does he say, look at the future and fear it. That's the way growing up in church that oftentimes the, the return of Christ was used for me. Christ is coming. You don't want to be caught doing the wrong thing when he returns. If you're laying in bed with that woman when he returns, what is he going to say to you? If you're watching that TV show when he returns, what's he going to say to you? Well, you know what? He's already here and he knows he's the Lord of all. He is, I'm still accountable for those things. He is right there with me whenever I am doing those things. Not that I'm sleeping with other women, by the way. I just want to make that clear. <laughs> he doesn't use fear of the future or regret the past, but he says we should be in so anticipation of the dawning of salvation that it stirs us to live a different way. 
We should be stirred to awaken from our sleep, not because of what our past or not because of fear of the future, but because that we know who wins and who is returning. And that should stir us to say, because of that, because I know I'm working for and playing for the winning team, because I know that my Lord is the Lord of all, because I know that my King is the King of all who will rule and reign throughout of eternity. Therefore, I will must, as hard as it may be, as difficult as it may be, to stop hitting the snooze button and roll over and actually get out of bed and put on the armor of light and be engaged in his work, in his reign right now, that it's worth it because I know that he is coming again. The coming age under Christ should motivate us. But you know when it doesn't? When this world is more real to you than that. When this age is more real to you than that. When this kingdom is more real to you than that. When the night is more real to you than the day. Guys, this age is passing away. We should be concerned. I don't keep saying this, but I know it's a big thing for many of us. We should be concerned about political things. We should be engaged. But this current political system that we live in is passing away. It is not eternal. The rule and reign of Jesus Christ is eternal. Let us be more about that kingdom than this. Let's be more about the age to come than this. Let the age to come and God's rule, rightful rule and reign, let that motivate and stir us more than anything that we see around us. The age, this age is passing away. The night is almost over. The new day is dawning. It has already begun to dawn in Jesus Christ's first coming. And, but it has begun for us who are in Christ Jesus. So here's, here's where we're gonna land this plane this morning. Don't live, Christian, don't live, don't continue to live, don't continue to sleepwalk through life as if this is the, is the true real age, the age of darkness. Live as a child of light. Stop hitting the snooze button and wake up and engage in the rule and reign of Jesus Christ and his work today. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, everything that I've been saying is to believers. But it concerns you. Because if you're not a believer in Christ this morning, if you have not been born again, you are a member of the world that is passing away, the age that is passing away. You are a member of the kingdom of darkness, not of the kingdom of light. And you are currently an enemy of Jesus Christ. And there's no need for you to be. Today can be the day that that totally and absolutely changes when you bow your knee to the rightful King, Jesus Christ, you accept his payment on the cross for your sins and you confess him as Lord and Savior, then you can be brought from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light.
I'm about to pray for us. And I pray that you would bow your knee or bow your head and that you would talk to the Lord and do that right now. And Christians, if you're a believer in Christ, we're getting ready to open the front for you for communion. And as we do, here's the cool thing that happens as we partake of this meal together. It is the perfect thing that symbolizes and shows us the the overlapping ages. Because as we partake of the the bread and the cup, as we take of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, we are remembering the meal that he had with his disciples, his last supper, his last dinner. But we're also looking forward to the feast that we will have with him whenever he comes again. We're declaring that the age has begun to dawn and one day by me taking that little wafer and drinking that juice, I'm declaring one day I'm gonna feast with him under his rule and reign whenever he returns. I'm gonna pray for us. And if you're a believer in Christ, we're gonna have two stations. You're more than welcome to come forward. There'll be one over here, one over here. Please come through and on the outside and grab it and return back to your seats. If you need someone to pray for you today, I'll be up here during communion. I'll be up here at, towards the end of the service. I'd be more than happy to pray with you. Uh, later on in the service, back where they have the prayer banner, there'll be a prayer team. They would love to pray with you back there as well. Now, if you would, let's pray. Uh, Jesus Christ, uh, we often live as those who are sleepwalking through life. And I pray that you would help us to wake up this morning, that you would help us to see uh, the beauty that is found in you and the joy that's found in serving you and that we would turn away from the works of darkness, that we'd no longer act like those who are uh, a part of the old kingdom and we wouldn't gratify the, the desires of our flesh, but we'd put on the armor of light and follow after you. And Father, we pray that you'd bless this communion time together. Bless the body and blood. Help it to be real to us as we partake of it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.